So tonight in Exodus chapter 6, if you can find your way there or through our app, you can find the notes. And um, Lord, we do ask now that you, by the power of your word, would open it to us to behold great and mighty things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, Moses and Aaron and the leaders thought, man, we're going to go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And, and he was going to buckle and say, go ahead, man. God said it. You got to leave. Go. But remember, God had told Moses, no, he's not going to do that. He's going to harden his heart. But the guys didn't remember that part. Moses didn't remember it. He didn't share it with these guys. And, uh, and so it was a sort of a little tiny footnote to Moses, although it should have been uh, something that he had remembered much better. And so he was melted down with deep disappointment. And at the end of chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, he said, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it that you've sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. And, you know, Pharaoh said, well, you got time to go away for three days. You got time to work harder. And with no straw this time. And I'm going to double your workload. And, and, and I'm going to beat you if you don't do it. And so it's just crushing them now. And, uh, and Moses is like, I don't get you, God. Now we're going to find that a lot. Because remember, through the book of Genesis, what they knew about God is very little. It's sort of amazing when you see how much faith they had in God with the little bit of light they had. But the Bible tells us as much is given, much is required. We today have as much light as man's ever going to receive on planet Earth. So we are responsible more than any other time in history, much more than these guys ever were. And so now they, they really don't know about God. I mean, Moses in the last chapter is going, who are you? Oh, I am. Well, who is that? I'm the God of Father of your... You know, he, he didn't... He was just out in Midian, you know, out in Saudi Arabia, hanging out, taking care of some uh, priest of Midian's sheep and, and, and just sort of had checked out. And now he's right in the thick of it and he doesn't know the nature of God like we do. And this is what we're going to discover little by little. Because that is life in knowing him, the only true God and his son, Jesus Christ, it tells us in 1 John. And so the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. Now this is sort of telling us about God because you know, when somebody does that to me, and, and sometimes I've said things, and, and it hurt people, crushed people, or, I, you know, I said something, and then they understood it differently than what I meant, and they were disappointed that I didn't carry through with what they thought I had said, and you guys know what I'm talking about. Those things happen, right? And uh, if you're married daily, and... Um, and when they say, man, I am so disappointed. I don't know about you, but I just like, I'm crushed going, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, forgive me. What can I do to make it up? You know, how can I, how can I comfort you? Let me give you a hug. Let me, you know, let, you know, this is not what God's doing. God is just sticking his chest out. And he was saying, in essence, to Moses, your eyes are on Pharaoh you need to get them on me. Let me tell you something. About 90% of all your problems can be solved with that one statement. Just say to somebody next to you, just get your eyes on the Lord. Go ahead. Say to somebody around you there. It's like, good night. Let's close in prayer right now. That's really about, you know, but let's cover the other 10% in case you need some help. And this is what happens when we're disappointed and when we're getting oppressed by the enemy, guys, realize this whole Exodus thing is a picture of salvation, of a believer coming out of the bondage of Satan and out of the claws of sin and coming into the born-again life in the Spirit. This will be a picture of the New Testament, the gospel, the whole New Testament. 
And, and so they're overwhelmed. Satan just wham, got to understand, he's going to do that. You go to witness to somebody, and then all of a sudden, you're getting slammed. They're getting slammed. You know, you talk to your neighbor, your relative or something, coming to church, and then, you know, they go home, and their whole house is flooded with water, or their backyard caught on fire where they're at church, or, you know, somebody broke into their house, or their car blew up on the way home, or, and they're going to go, ah, you know, ah, going to that church thing is costly to me. Man, talking about God has really made things hard. Ever since I met you, Christian, my life is really going through upheaval. And, and we know this, right? There is a real devil. And he knows the best possibility is for him to snuff out that little tiny fire that just got going. Don't wait till it becomes a bonfire, then try to put it out. Just as soon as it's a spark, snuff it out. This is throughout the New Testament. Jesus says the word of God is like a seed that goes into the ground. And what happens? It falls upon the road and the bird comes and Jesus tells us in the next section that bird is Satan and steals it away. The word of God is like the seed that goes into the ground, but it goes into thin soil and immediately the, it can't penetrate any deeper and it hardens up and dies. He gives four examples, three of them, the seed all dies. And only in one of those does the seed germinate and bear fruit. So you've got to realize right up front between Satan and man's heart, you've got about a 25% chance of being successful with telling the absolute correct truth for man to come to salvation. And this is why the Bible tells us to not grow weary in well-doing, especially in the area of sharing our faith. And so Moses, you need to understand, yes, you went up there, you saw Pharaoh, he's got a mighty strong hand and he just pounded you guys with that hand and discouraged the people. And remember the people came out and said, Moses, the Lord judge you. You made our life miserable. I wish you never came down here and told us about God to begin with. And, and they're, you know, they're getting pounded by this strong hand of Pharaoh and that's all they can see is the mighty power of the great empire of Egypt. And it's overwhelming to them. And God says, get your eyes on me and my strong hand. Because when I am done, Pharaoh is going to be pushing you guys out. He's not going to say, go ahead and go. He's going to go, go and push you on the way out. And, and so you need to understand not who Pharaoh is, but who I am versus Pharaoh. And there is none like God. And then in verse 2, what does he say to him? We're going to see this several times in this chapter. The Lord spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. Now, we don't know the inflections in the, in the Bible, but I think this is where one of those, you know, great Wizard of Oz moments, I am the Lord, you know, I'm God. Do you understand? There's nothing hard for me. There's nothing impossible with God. All things are possible with God. Moses is disappointed and he just got knocked down for doing God's will and trying to, to speak as God spoke, told him to speak and, and deliver the children of Israel. And, and, and he's like, this is, this is impossible. I was this little tiny shepherd from Midian speaking to this big giant Pharaoh. We're this group of slaves speaking to the people with all the money and the military and the power and the swords and the spears, and, and it's, it's impossible. You, you know what? This is a very simple formula that you will 100% find true. You can either choose to walk by faith or God will choose it for you. It's very simple. There's that and then there's humility. You can fall on the rock and be broken or the rock will fall on you and crush you to powder. Always better to choose to humble yourself and fall on the rock. It's a lot less painful. You can also choose to walk by faith. It's never fun. <laughs> it's always fearful. It's always difficult. But it's absolutely essential. And we need to always come to that place to say, it looks impossible, but it can't be. Because God is in my life. 
And every day in my heart, in my spirit, and, and sometimes in actual words I speak, but always in the attitude of my heart, it's, Lord, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth in my life as it is in heaven. I, I, I yield to you, God, your will, your way, your desire, whenever you want, however you want. Lord, I, I surrender to you today again. God can use that, and, and, we, and we have nothing to fear. God's not given us a spirit of fear, it says in 2 Timothy 1, but of power and a soundness of mind through his spirit. And so it's me. I'm, I'm the Lord. So there, there you go. You guys got it. Right there. Get your eyes on the Lord and then realize he is God. You're not getting your eyes on somebody that's a little smarter than you or a little stronger than you or that can, you know, do things a little bit better than, you know. No, this is God. He's infinite. Well, in verse 3, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, El Shaddai. But by my name, Lord, the Y-H-W-H, the Tetragrammaton, Yah, some say Yahweh, some say Jehovah, depends on the alliteration that you choose. I was not known to them. And now he's going to explain this in verse 4. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of the pilgrimage in which they were strangers. I have also heard the groanings of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I've remembered my covenant. So back in the book of Genesis, <laughs> Moses would say, back with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they understood me. I was only able to present myself to them as the almighty God, El Shaddai, the all-powerful all one. And they got that. God's the creator of all. And God is, is seeing all and knows all and has a powerful plan. But they didn't get it when they, I explained it to them that I'm also Yah. Remember Yah, I am. Yahweh, Jireh, I am God, your provider. Yahweh, Tidzkanu, I am your, I am your righteousness. Each of these names. He's in essence saying, Moses, hang on, because you're not getting me, but you are. Not just you, but all the people are going to know me personally. And even though you're melting down with disappointment, you're going to come to know me personally, and that I am a God who made a covenant with you guys, the children of Abraham, and I am a God who always keeps my word. And I will keep my covenant with you guys forever. And you know what? I'm hearing every single cry that's going on. Every bit of your burden, I see it. Remember, David says, God holds all our tears in a bottle. Saul, when he was persecuting the church, Jesus spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting what? Me. He was with them in their affliction. And they're going to understand that God is with them in a very personal, powerful, healing way. I, I'm coming to them. I'm hearing their groans. It's not just some contract with God to a nation. You are my people. And of course, as we go on in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, God's going to say, you're my treasure. You are my special people above all people. Why? Because I set my love upon you. Well, now in verse 6, therefore says the children of Israel, go say to them, I want you to go speak this. I am the Lord. So he just told us that. 
Now I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. Once again, he says what? I am the Lord. What we have here in these seven I will statements is the gospel. Now, all the religions of the world, they focus on man. You want to be right with God, then you need to shave your head like this, have a ponytail like this, wear a robe like this, put beads on like this, pray like this, walk up the mountain and ring the bell like this, light the candles like this. You need to start eating this diet. You need to quit talking like that and start talking like this. And, and this is what we have. So the Mormons all look like Mormons. Jehovah Witnesses all look like Jehovah Witnesses. The Hindus all look like Hindus. The Muslims all look like Muslims. And you can just keep going right on down the road because this, it's a man trying to reach God. And some guy comes in and says, here's what you need to do. Jump this high. You know, start wearing robes. Shave your head with a ponytail. Become a vegetarian. Grab these beads and start chanting, you know, Hari Hari Krishna Krishna Rama Rama. 90 times, three times a day, or start praying five times a day, and here you need to get a rug. And, and you know what will happen? They'll say, I'm still lacking. I need to talk to you, father, priest, mufti, <laughs> whatever. Because I still sense I'm not right with God. And they'll say, well, then try fasting. Try not walking up the hill to the place of prayer on your feet, but walk up there on your knees. Try to pray five hours a day instead of one hour a day. They're just going to keep lifting it until eventually it's not humanly impossible for anybody to maintain anything like that. There's only one religion in the world of faith and not of works, and that's Christianity. In Acts chapter 20, he calls it the gospel of grace. Because God doesn't ever say, now, to be right with me, you must do this. And you must keep doing this. And you better start doing this. And you better start. No. What we, what we discover in our part, it's responding out of love and thanksgiving to the salvation he's given us. And it's now we want to have a stronger relationship with him. It's not about I'm almost saved and I need to start working harder to make sure that I'm saved. We are saved, but now we don't want to be a weak spiritual person. We want to be a strong spiritual person. And so why are you praying? Because I love God and I want to know him more and grow in him more. And I want to make sure I get to heaven. Don't get blackballed halfway there. You see, that's no longer of faith now. It's of works. And that grieves the heart of God. And so it's, it doesn't say you shall, you should, you must. The gospel says What? I will, I will, I will, I will. And guess what? He never changes that. He starts with, I am the Lord. I will, I will, I will, seven times. And then he ends, I am the Lord. Well, okay, what's our part? Believe in him. Put your trust in him. That's it. And so it's just a powerful thing when we break this down and, and look at it. First of all, he says, I will bring you out from the burdens of your oppressor. I'm going to bring you up out of Egypt. He's speaking of salvation. A person is in the world and, and God hears their cries. He hears their groanings. I, I can clearly remember 
in college, my second year in college, I had been walking with the Lord since I was solidly, since I was 15. And uh, that was my second year of college, so I would have been 45. No, <laughs> um, I, I think I was 20 or 21. And I just remember saying to the Lord, I, I, I had been trying to witness, and I, I just felt like I was so separated from the lost world, especially living on a Christian campus in this little bubble, that I just had lost the appreciation for my salvation. And I just said, Lord, help me to remember. And I'll tell you what, it was like the Holy Spirit left me. And I was just without God and without hope in this world. It was the most amazing sense of, of just emptiness and loneliness. And, and I didn't realize how I was experiencing God's spirit and strength and wisdom and help every second of the day. He was, before I even took that step, he was already in it with his grace. And I just remember going in going, God, what's wrong? What did I do? Lord, help me. And, and the Lord said, you now remember? And I'm like, oh yeah, okay, Lord. And I, I just, re I've never lost that sense of just how angry and frustrated it was before the Lord, how desperate and difficult it was. And, you know, you, you hear Christians sometimes saying, well, you know, people in the church are meaner than people in the world. Oh, yeah? <laughs> you, you, you've, you know what? You've lost touch, man. Because you get back out in the world, and I hope you don't backslide in back in the world. You'll, you'll remember how good the people in the church were. We're still sinners. We're still human. We still fall short every day, don't we? But no. And so he says, I am the one who's hearing your groanings, and I am going to take you out from underneath that oppressor, your enemy, for us, Satan, for them, the satanic bondage of Egypt. Secondly, he says, I'll rescue you from bondage. This is God speaking of liberation, where I'm going to take you out of all of the things that have caused your life to be so burdened down. I'm going to begin un packing you out of the mud. When I, when I think of that, I think of a, of a, a person stuck in, in a mud or sludge or quicksand. Uh, have you ever had a car stuck in mud and you're trying to dig it out and dig it out and dig it out? And, and it, it, I feel like that. Sometimes people are just like uh, one arm stuck over here, one other arm, a leg back here, you know, and you're, and you're trying to get them out. And then the other arm stuck and you're, it's like God saying, Slowly but surely, I'm going to pull you out of that baggage of the world that has got your mind and greed and anger and bitterness and sexuality and, and, and wickedness. I'm just going to get that out. I had a, a person a, a, a short time back saying, but you know, my friend who's a homosexual said that, uh, you know, they can't help it because they were born that way. They've, they've always had those desires. And I said, so they have a sexual desire that the Bible said is wrong. I said, let me ask you, do you have a sexual desire that God says wrong? Yes, me too. <laughs> Matter of fact, I don't know anybody that doesn't have sexual desires that we would all love to fulfill according to the flesh that are, are sin in God's eyes. And so what do we all have to do? We have to say no, because if I do that, that's going to destroy my marriage. That's going to separate me from God, or that's going to cause me to want more and more and more until it gets more depraved, until it gets more wrong. And I, and I know it is because it's consuming hours or money or energies or a person is, is becoming a, a different person because they're in bondage to those things. And God is going to rescue us from those bondages. And then he says in verse 3, I will redeem you. And he says it, I'm going to do it by a mighty hand in a powerful way. This, is, this word redeemed it mean, literally means to buy one out of slavery. I'm going to buy you out of slavery. And then four, I will take you as my people. 
notice here. It's not like, and I'm going to offer them to become my people, and I'll, and I'll offer to become their God. He had already done that with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he made the promise to them that I am going to keep your kids. I am choosing you, Abraham, now and forever. And I'm choosing all your descendants for now and forever. This is just a mind-boggling thing. We started looking at it a little bit last week there in Romans chapter 9, this wonderful doctrine of election. As one commentator said, it's always a wonderful doctrine of which a weary head can lay down on the soft pillow of election. And in Romans 9, verse 10 and 11, it says, And not only this, but Rebekah also conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not being born, nor having done anything good or evil, that here's the phrase I'm wanting to get to, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. I'm not going to read that whole chapter again, but in verse 16, he goes on to say, uh, trying to explain this, he says, and it's not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. God came to them and said, I am going to be your God, and uh, I will be faithful to you uh, no matter what. I'm going to take you to be my people. In John 15, 16, Jesus says to them, you did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you, ordained you. Every one of us are ordained by God, that we should go and bear fruit, and that our fruit should remain, and whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. In John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus says to these guys, I take you unto myself. Everyone that follows me, it's because the Father drew them. That's a powerful word. It could literally mean to drag. I think of the Apostle Paul. The Lord dragged him, didn't he? He was on his way to Damascus, and the Lord just struck him down blind. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus. Now get into Damascus, and, and, uh, and you wait for me to, to give you further instruction. And, and we, we see a powerful hand of God taking him. Dragging him unto Jesus. I love that. And in John 6 and verse 37 to 30 and 40, he says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all that he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son, believes in him, may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Wow. So in this statement where God is saying, I'm taking you to be my people. He is saying, I'm taking you permanently. <laughs> if I take you, I'm hanging on to you. Everybody I take, I'm not going to lose any of them. And in 2 Timothy 1.9, it says, who saved us? Who called us with this holy calling? Not according to our works. In, in, in John 1.12, he says, not of ourselves, not of the will of flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. Not of our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ before time began. So I'm going to take you to be my people. And then he says the other side of the coin, and I will be your God. I am going to become your God. In other words, you know what? You're my people. Better or worse, richer or poorer, sickness and health, till death to us. You know, you are my people. I'm not letting you go. You may be screaming and yelling and biting, and, but I'm not letting you go. You're mine. And then he's now saying, and I'm going to be your God. You may not be the people like you should be towards me. You should honor me and love me and worship me as because there is no other God. But even if you don't, I'm going to still be the God to you that 
you need. You may not be the people that you should be, but I will be the God that I should be. In 2 Timothy 2, 13, he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. I am your God, and I'm going to not change. I don't change. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever, and I'm going to be faithful to you to the end. And then the sixth thing he says, and I will bring you into the land of promise. I'm going to do exactly what I promised, that one day you will inhabit all the land that I gave unto Abraham. You guys know that's never yet happened. The most they ever acquired was under David and Solomon, 10%. When is it going to happen? When Jesus returns in the second coming and we return with him, and then there will be a thousand-year millennial reign. But then there'll be a new heavens and a new earth in which then they will inhabit it for all of eternity. And so the Lord is saying in the same way to us, I am going to give you a land permanently throughout eternity. And then that land, he says, number seven, I will give you as a heritage. He'll say as a perpetual heritage to all generations. The land of Israel is the Jews. And uh, I understand that there's been other people throughout the centuries since God gave it to Abraham the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and all of those guys have, have lived on that land at various times and the Philistines and so forth. And um, up to this very present day. But in God's mind and according to his promise in the word, nations can argue all they want. Jews can debate it all they want. But God gave it to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and one day they will have it all. And so how much more for us? God has promised us a land, a heritage forever. In Titus 3, 7, he says, I have been justified by his grace. We should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We have been justified by grace, and now we are heirs forever and ever of this hope. In 1 Peter, I love how it says it in this, in verses, chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to all his abundant mercies, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to this. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Listen to this. An inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. And then verse 5, who has been kept this inheritance of ours, this land of ours, this promised land of ours, our heritage is right now being kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen to that. I will, I will. And, and the Lord here is now saying, I will finish this. In Colossians 1, 12 through 14, it says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us, become partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom, I love this, into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom he, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. What are we looking forward to? A hope reserved in heaven. What do we have? An inheritance kept by the power of God that does not diminish or fade away or lessen. What do we have? We have right here of all the believers together. That's going to be the joyful part, isn't it? We're going to be looking at each other and standing at each other going, tapping each other on the shoulders. Look at that. We're going to be arm in an arm singing, he is worthy, he is worthy. Oh, the Lamb of God, he is worthy. We're going to have such a wonderful worship in him for eternity. And, um, and again, he starts and finishes it, I am the Lord. So we see God covering it from the beginning 
to the end that when God says to these guys, you're in Egypt, you're suffering, you're in bondage, and I'm going to bring you out. Well, God, you didn't do it. We're disappointed. We're, we're hurting. We're upset. And God says, here's the answer. You need to get your eyes on me. Who am I? I'm not Pharaoh, okay? He's not a difficult power for me. I'm not wrestling here going, I thought I could get you out, but man, Pharaoh is a little more powerful than I thought. This is going to be tougher than I thought, Moses. Hang on. No, there was nothing like that going on. He's like, get your eyes on me. Who am I? I am God. And here's how I want you to start knowing me. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never even came close to understanding this. But I will. I will. I will. And even if you don't, I will. Even if you're faithless, I will remain faithful. I have it in heaven reserved for you, kept by the power of God. And do you understand what that does? It, it, it brings salvation by grace purely a gift of God. Not of works, lest anybody should boast. It's not of works. If it's of works, it can't be a guarantee, it says in Romans 4. But because it's not a work, and it was started by God, it's finished by God, all the stuff in between is by God and his faithfulness and his grace and his mercy and his love and his power, then he says in Romans 4, then you can be guaranteed of your salvation because it's God. He's the one. You didn't choose him. He chose you. You didn't come unto him. The Father dragged you unto him. And everybody that's dragged unto him, everybody that's coming to him, he's got him. He's not going to lose any. He's going to get you there. He's going to take you into the land. He's going to give you the inheritance. And then he's going to give it to you forever and ever and ever. Philippians 1, verse 6, you know it well. By this is the, very, the being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may the whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and what? Who also will do it. Can you guys do that? Okay, Here's your part. I did everything. I just need you now to keep yourself blameless without sin until I come and get you. Is anybody happy about that? Are you a little bit stressed? I got to be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing, uh, in spirit, soul, and body. Oh, my, no, man. I could go, you know, hide in a cave until the Lord comes again. That's only going to take care of my body, my mind, and my spirit, you know. Guys, faithful is he who called you and what? He will do it. I don't know about you, but that's, that's unbelievable. That's amazing. Do you understand? You're not going to go study the Hindu religion and get this gospel. You're not going to go hang out with the Muslims and hear grace like this. The Mormons, they're going to pound you into to, to a mold that, that's going to bind you up. Jehovah Witnesses will take you under their control and keep guilt on you to keep you in their grasp. But in Christ, he gives grace. And he says, I'm going to start it. I've called you. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to finish it. Faithful am I, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to present you holy and blameless and righteous. I'm going to do it. And what are we going to do? We're going to respond in faith. And say, God, I love you and I want to live for you and serve you and walk with you and fellowship with you. And, and I know that where my sin abounds, your grace abounds more. I know your mercies are new every morning. I know if I sin, you're faithful and righteous to forgive me that sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Do you understand what kind of walk this is, guys? This is the gospel. This is Christianity. Well, how do you know which one's the right religion? All the religions focus on men. And men need to get better 
and do better and get more disciplined and work harder and be more obedient and quit being so sinful and be more obedient still. And, and eventually we're just like, ah, I, can't, I can't hang in here anymore. This is just smashing me. God doesn't do that. He sees you in your smashed position. He sees you in your bondage. And he comes and says, here's the gospel. Here's the good news. I will. I will. I will. Hebrews 10, 14. For this is a, this, by this one offering, what? He has perfected for how long? Forever. Those who are being sanctified. Do you understand that? On the cross, he said, it is finished. That's why he could say to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Even though he did no good works, his hands were tied, his feet were tied, right up until he was hung on the cross. And after he was hung on the cross, if you read all three gospels, that thief was cursing Jesus, mocking Jesus, along with the multitudes of people. It's amazing they had that kind of hardness of heart going to their own death. And they had that kind of energy hanging on the cross. But they were mocking the Lord. This guy was mocking the Lord. He didn't have a heart for God. He didn't have any repentance. But in a moment when he saw Jesus saying, Father, forgive him. John, take care of my mother. He didn't curse back. He didn't spit back. He didn't speak out in anger and curse him. And he, he just kept a heart of compassion and love. Ah, oh, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them, Father. And what did that guy see? He saw grace. He saw in his bondage, Jesus, who would receive him, who would be, you know, huh, man, I wish I hadn't said those things about you a minute ago, Jesus, because right now I could really use salvation, but I'm sure after all those horrible things I said in the prison and on the way up here that, uh, yeah, I sort of burned that bridge, didn't I? No. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Because it's by grace. It's not of our works. It's, it's by this wonderful work of Jesus Christ. But notice what happened here in, in verse 9. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, and they said, Thank you, Lord, for your grace, and thank you, Moses, for an amazing message. And we, let's go have a barbecue. I'm just so happy right now. What do they say? They did not heed Moses. They're like, get away. We don't want to hear you. Bad things happen when you're around. You and your God and your gospel is, is oppressive. We don't need any more of your trouble. Go away. But God looked on it and he said, you know why? It's because of the anguish of their spirit and cruel bondage. This is what we're going to find from these people for a very long time. Hebrews 4.2 says about them. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, referring to the Jews. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. They never could come to believe that there is a God that good, that faithful, presenting such a message to them. They could never have faith in it. It's, it's astounding. But the Lord says it's just because they've been under so much oppression you guys have heard about that and seen that, right? Somebody that's been held in somebody's basement for eight years or whatever, they let them out and walk around and they come right back into, into that little basement, put the handcuff back on themselves because they, they, their, their mind starts getting twisted and they, they can only see their life in bondage to this person who's a deviant. It's amazing how depth a, a human soul can be wounded. And he's looking at this, all these hundreds of years of slavery has done a job. But what did Jesus come to do? It tells us in Isaiah 61 and, and quoted in Luke 4:18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty, what? Those who are oppressed. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take a process, the Lord's saying here. Plant a seed, water it, wait for it to grow. They're just so 
oppressed. They can't hear any good news and receive it. And that little bit of trials with Pharaoh saying, you have time to go worship, then you have more time to work, that it just, it just crushed them. It just, every bit of hope they had was smashed out of them in that one instant, those few days before. And now the gospel comes and they, they have, they're just completely without the ability to even hope. You've been there? You know people that have been there? Jesus has come to help the brokenhearted. Well, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I don't care. <laughs> you know what? It's not changing us. This is what I'm trying to teach you, Moses. I don't change. I'm not, I'm not responding to their hurt, their unbelief. I, I'm not saying, well, they, okay, they didn't heed your voice, then forget it. Moses, go back to Midian. You're freed from your obligation. You're, you know, if they're not going to work with me, then just let them stay in slavery. They made their bed, lie in it. You know, that's never God's attitude. You know that, that saying, one guy was like, man, I looked everywhere for this verse. The Lord helps those who helps himself. I can't find it. I'm like, dude, it's like that's in the Satan Bible, <laughs> you know. That couldn't be more opposite of God. The Lord helps those who can't help themselves. That's the gospel, man. And so they couldn't help themselves. So God's not giving up on them. Amen to that? Go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt and the children of Israel, go let, let them go. Go back and you tell Pharaoh again, you know what? I, I don't, I don't res I'm not listening to you saying no. I'm wanting a yes. And Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, The children of Israel have not heeded me, and how then shall Pharaoh heed me? I'm an uncircumcised lips. I, I can't get your children to listen to you. How am I going to get Pharaoh, this pagan guy who's against you, who won't believe in you at all, to, to listen to me? Now, Moses had been saying, I got a stutter. I can't talk. I, I, I have a physical problem here. I'm slow of speech. I got a little mental block. But now he just out and out says, I, there's no godliness in me. I have uncircumcised tongue. I'm not a godly person. I'm not godly enough for this position. First of all, I'm not physically able with my talking issue. And then I'm sort of slow of speech. I, I'm an 80-year-old guy. I'm just not the, the, the eloquent speaker that, that I think that you need. He's given all his excuses, but now he, after this encounter with Pharaoh and the children of Israel and he just has no spiritual power of his own. You see, I, 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 where's his eyes? I am without power. <laughs> I am without the ability. And Moses is going to learn every day. Yes, that's true. Every single day. Apart from him, what? We are uncircumcised lips. <laughs> we can do nothing. And that's okay. Moses is going to learn here. You're right. You don't have the power. Paul, Paul says the power is not of us. It's of God. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command. It seems like the Lord just sort of ignored this. For the children of Israel, for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children out of the land of Egypt. So he went and told them, guys, God said we're going. I'm going to tell Pharaoh again, whether you like it or not. And then Moses, for whatever reason, by the Holy Spirit says, Whew, I need a break. Let's do a genealogy here. Now, let me give you a genealogy. And, and where he's really getting is to a genealogy about Levi. But to first give in context, he gives the first two older sons. So he says, hey, the sons of Reuben, the first son are this. The son of Simeon are this. And then the third son is Levi. But he never carries on to the fourth son or any of the sons afterwards. And then he goes into great deal in verse, uh, I'm not going to read this, but in verse 14 and 15, he gives context with Reuben and Simeon. Then in 16 through 19, he, he gives um, the, the, the Aaron, basically, and then he gives the three sons. Verse 17 is Gershon. The Gershonites, they're under, they're one of the Levite groups. And then the Kohathites in verse 18. And then the Merari. And, and what, you're, what we're going to discover here later on, these three sons of Levi becomes three separate sections of the priesthood, each of them with a different role and a different duty. And so it's not just a priesthood. 
it's a priesthood broken down into these three sections. So later on, you're going to say, now, who is Merari? Who's the Kohathites? I didn't remember that. And you're going to come back. So this genealogy is, hang on, this is going to come back later and be important. But right now, know that. And then in verse 20 to 25, he basically says, and Aaron and Moses come from this genealogy of people. And at that time, you know, the Jews reading this would have been much more important than it is to us today. But take a note of several of the names there that later we will see in the story that will become important, at least for one story. And so in verse 26 and 27, they say, so in case you were wondering, these two guys, Aaron and Moses, are real Jews. There's their lineage that tie into the Jewish uh, lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, uh, and so we are a part of it. And, and partly why this might become important is because Moses only marries Gentile women, and Moses' lineage doesn't carry on into the tribes of Israel. Aaron does, but not Moses. Moses' lineage is not uh, a part of the children of Israel after um, he, he goes, which is an interesting thing. And of course, the tribe of Judah, the kingly tribe, the one that the Messiah comes from is the most important. And now he comes back and he says, now in the previous episode we covered, you guys remember, that uh, it came to pass on that day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord, speak to favor of the king of Egypt, all that I said to you. And remember Moses said, no, hold it. Behold, I'm an uncircumcised lips. How shall Pharaoh heed me? So uh, he now picks back up going, hey, in case uh, that long genealogy made you lose track of what was going on here, let me remind you in the previous episode of the book of Exodus, here's what was going on. Next week, whew, exciting stuff. We are going to see them going and doing miracles, but Satan doing equal miracles. Rather confusing, but uh, a powerful, powerful lesson for all of us to learn. Well, Lord, we thank you for your word here tonight. And, and we know that there's none of us that are sufficient for these things. Who is sufficient? Who has the power to do these things? None of us but it's of your grace. And as we're here tonight, if somebody has finally heard the gospel through all the maze of the baggage of religion and even the religion of Christianity to this year, it's you, Lord. It's getting my eyes on you. It's trusting in you and, and knowing you are the author and the finisher of my faith and that you have begun it. You will complete it. You've called me and I believe in you, Lord. And now out of love and joy and thanksgiving, I want to live a holy, righteous, obedient, submissive, pure life to you. I give my life to you tonight, Lord. All of us, Lord, rededicate our life to such an amazing God with an amazing gospel that speaks nothing but joy and salvation and hope. We want to walk in love and obedience to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. If you need prayer, come forward and say hi to one another. God bless you and uh, have a wonderful rest of the week.